following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Mini bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! My name is Matt Perez. My name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. But first, a quick break. Taking a moment to thank our sponsors, Veridesk, Rocket Mortgage, and ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Hello, everybody in podcast land. Uh, it's Satchel. Matt cannot join us, unfortunately. Uh, with me, I have Heidi O'Farrell. She is a cosplayer, a seamstress, and an artist who brings fictional characters to life through theatrical design and photography. Heidi, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Satchel. You know, I could I could try and give a synopsis myself, but actually I'd much rather have somebody way more involved sort of define what cosplay is. All right. Well, cosplay can be a number of things, but primarily it comes down to dressing up as your favorite fictional characters and either attending events where you're interacting with people dressed as your character or creating photography or performances through video or other media where you are portraying that character in whatever sense you want to do you want to do so it's extremely open-ended as far as how people engage with it and interpret it in their own way um but for me it comes down to crafting the costumes crafting environments for them to be in and then capturing that um through photography that's really cool so okay so it's i'm seeing that it's kind of split across a few different disciplines like will there be people who like dedicated photographers or dedicated videographers that just do stuff in the cosplay context. Is that sort of how it? Yes, absolutely. Um, a lot of those, there's a number of different genres that are all kind of supporting each other within the cosplay community. So there are photographers who maybe have, you know, a side gig doing weddings or doing other things, but they will spend a significant amount of time focusing on cosplayers, going to events, scheduling location shoots with cosplayers, um, and kind of giving back to the community that way. And so there are lots of photographers that are involved who are not even cosplayers themselves. Um, and so it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship between different artistic disciplines. Ah, oh, that is so cool. How would you sort of describe your current relationship with cosplaying? Like, if, if it's the appropriate word, what does your sort of career in it look like? Uh, well, I do spend all of my time on this, so I guess that's an appropriate <laughs> that's word. Awesome. Um, primarily, I spend my time making the costumes. Um, I share a lot of what I do on the internet, so I have people who are tuning in via Twitch, um, looking on Twitter and Instagram, just kind of following along with the creation process. And a lot of people um, are fellow artists who are really engaged on that level of wanting to interact and talk about the sewing, talk about the painting and the artistry. Um, so that is where a lot of my time goes. And then beyond that, um, I've recently put a lot more effort into showcasing the final pieces. So that would be scheduling photo shoots in my own time, um, scheduling photo shoots at convents and convention, con conventions and events where people are coming together to just get together and, and do cosplay. Um, so yeah, this is, this is what I do full time. And I, it's supported through, um, donations from viewers and people who are interested in, in what I'm doing artistically. And yeah. it has enabled me to do a lot of interesting things <laughs> as an artist. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Is, is there anything in particular you'd like to mention? Now I know you've worked with Nintendo in the past. Yeah. Do I have that right? Yes, that was for San Diego Comic-Con last year um, in the summer. I did a Inkling Girl cosplay from their Splatoon 2 video game that was just coming out. 
And uh, alongside another cosplayer who was there as an inkling boy, we spent the entire weekend like hanging out in the Nintendo area, interacting with people, taking photos, hyping people up, um, that sort of thing where it's it's highly interactive. People want to come and take photos with the cosplayers and oh gosh, yeah. play us in Splatoon 2 and, and stuff like that. It was really fun. <laughs> That's super cool. Is Is this the kind of space that people can occupy in a professional context like and if not is it sort of heading heading to that place yes and no um much like a lot of other online entrepreneurs like there is room for people to be professional youtubers or professional personalities on the internet through these platforms but it really comes down to how well you monetize it on your own um yeah. Certainly, some people are, are supporting themselves through Patreon and through Twitch viewerships and things like that. But um, for the most part, what I do is like self-initiated and self-funded. And so that's why community is so important is because I want to, first of all, provide things that have value to other people. that They want to tune in and see what I'm doing because it matters to them and they care that it's uh, you know something that they're interested in. Um and then beyond that, it really comes down to how well an individual artist can um, kind of build that support from the community and pioneer these projects that will continue to like have a return. Uh, yeah. Because the the jobs with companies are kind of um, few and far between when it comes to like being a uh, consistent source of income. It's not really reliable. So. I would say that there's definitely room for people to exist in that space, but it has to be like extremely like self-motivated. Um, yeah, and it seems way more fun to want to jump around and try different things. Absolutely. I think that we're at a place where a lot of online creators feel very hindered by like algorithms and you know what's popular compared to what they actually want to be producing. I think that's yeah. a very, very common um, issue for people just across the board, and it's the same with cosplay. What do you feel the ebb and flow of your inspiration is sort of like? Like, is it maybe you played a game recently and this is sort of like a really cool thing, like favorites, or maybe the community has sort of like vocalized cosplay that they'd like to see, or is it a mix? Uh, definitely a mix, and I consistently have way too many ideas uh, to do <laughs> all of them. So um, I try to stick to like one ongoing project at a time because the new desires, they pop up so quickly that it's like one thing after another that I'm constantly wanting to run in every direction. So um, I'm definitely inspired by things that are recent and things that are relevant because that is what people generally want to see. But beyond that, I'm interested in doing things that I really connect with and kind of classic costumes from... Um, uh, different fantasy. Right now, I'm working on Arwen from Lord of the Rings, and before oh, right that, on. yeah, uh, before that, I've done. Is this tied to the recent announcement for the show with Amazon? Or... Actually, no. I just wanted to. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. Yeah, <laughs> that just works um, out. <laughs> right, it was a convenient matchup, but um, one of the reasons why Arwen has been on my list for some time and rose to the top and and got picked to be my latest project is because. I think that that's a character who is um, very classic in the the lexicon of all of the the fantasy, you know, kind of major series in our culture. Um, Arwen is someone who is very memorable, and same with Princess Zelda and Samus. Other characters that I choose to portray are usually ones that have like, um, I guess, a pretty long lifetime in the public eye. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I uh. totally hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge investment to make these costumes, so you want to make something that um, you'll want to wear for years to come. And that's my my approach anyway. Do you try to time lock or strategically choose the characters uh, for like an average amount of time it might take to? Because um, I, I noticed you're you're making you're making content in parallel with with like. Uh, these costumes and environments you're putting together. So is there like an average amount of times it'll, time it will take to complete a piece or do you kind of leave it to the wind or do you have it a little bit more locked down? Uh, it kind of depends. It depends if I have an upcoming event where I need to have a certain thing by a certain time. But I am in general looking at 
the year as a whole and thinking, okay, well, I'm going to go to this event. So what do I want to have ready by then? And I'll pick and choose my projects based on how long I expect it will take me to complete them. And that varies a lot just depending on how many projects I'm juggling. But there is definitely some strategy to it as far as picking things that are like appropriate for different weather or appropriate for different events. (laughs) Yeah. I totally hear that. Is in in sort of making this because you've you've clearly been doing this for a while. Um, have you sort of this seems like a silly question, but have you sort of found a community in all of it? And if you have, what have been some of the benefits of belonging to sort of a cosplay community? Oh, absolutely. Um, the biggest benefit of building a community of other cosplayers is learning from each other. Um, people always ask me how I learned to do this. And the answer is, you know, I've learned from a hundred different people, (laughs) um, (laughs) over time. And some of it's, you know, self-taught, some of it is just me doing it, but some of it is sitting down and watching someone else's YouTube video or stream that they're doing and following along that way, uh, working in person with other cosplayers or other seamstresses, other artists, Uh, has been really beneficial because I've learned all kinds of new techniques that way. So I would say the biggest thing is just learning from each other and being inspired by each other. Um, It's a community where people are constantly sharing new ideas. Whenever I do get a chance to go to um, conventions and there will be a cosplay thing, I notice that oftentimes there's sort of like on Sunday there's a cosplay competition. Once in a while like there will be a walk, but even then it'll at least in my experience, typically be before like a row of judges and someone will sort of be announced. So I've always kind of um, thought about cosplay in a very sport-like manner. And and in all of that, I'm I'm curious to know, like, is competition intense amongst people who love it? Is there like drama or is it generally a safe space to kind of celebrate fiction characters? Uh, it certainly can be a place that of laugh. drama. <laughs> <laughs> every, listen, every community has it. I was talking with one of my friends who's a part of the knitting scene, and there is <laughs> drama in that. There is no... <laughs> that's, that's some drama I want to hear about. I, I know, right? I want that tea. <laughs> knitting scandals of the world. <laughs> uh... Yeah, you're right. There's definitely, I think, any place where people are coming together to show off a skill where they worked hard and they want to be rewarded, which I think is a natural thing. You work hard on something, you want to show it For off, sure. and, and you want the reward, even if it's not the, a literal prize. You want the, the interaction with people and to see excitement on their faces, and, and that it's a very natural thing. So it certainly can get intense with with contests. More recently, there have been a few high-profile contests that are offering major cash prizes. Uh, and oh, so that cool. is becoming more and more popular. There was a show, actually two different um, TV shows centered around competition and cosplay. So I have been in, involved Whoa, in... wait, which ones are these? Well, the first one was Heroes of Cosplay, which was way more focused on reality TV-style drama. Got uh, it. That was a couple years ago, and so that one was like... Um, I would say highly criticized for its portrayal of the cosplay community, not necessarily a great portrayal of our community. Okay. Uh, the second one was Cosplay Melee, which came out, I want to say, last year, last summer. Um, okay. Oh, recent. Okay. Yeah, that was a competition-style show that was more along the lines of, like, face-off. It was on sci-fi. Um, and it focused on bringing four competitors together together challenging them to design their own costumes based on whatever criteria and then staging a contest between those four people who are presenting original designs for a panel of judges. Um, okay. Yeah. So. And would you say that was, that was better received? I believe so. It wasn't as popular. And so they, I don't think are going to continue the show. I actually auditioned for that show. Oh, right on. (laughs) Yeah. I was one of their finalists, but they didn't choose me. So, um, I ended up not watching it. (laughs) (laughs) 
I totally get it. I totally um, get it. So yeah, I can't I can't go into too much detail there, but yeah, I mean, I, I, everybody that I knew that was involved with the show uh, was very highly um, complimentary of it and the process, and so that that's cool. What kind of stuff do they want in the application? If you're allowed to talk about it, I don't know if you signed. Um, I'm that. I'm honestly not sure. They were primarily looking at design skills, which is interesting okay. to me because it's different than what I consider to be cosplay. So I uh, attended university and got a BFA in theatrical design. And so that's what I was doing um, kind of in the, in the educational world that, that led into my, my cosplay life. Uh, the skills that were required of me in school and the things that I learned there that were design-oriented are totally different skills than what you need to actually create a cosplay costume. Because okay. cosplay, uh, for the most part, I mean, people people do their own thing. They create original designs, yes. But, like, the heart of it and the origin of it is portraying things in media that you appreciate, that you're a fan of. So yeah, yeah. You, you love Legend of Zelda, so you want to dress up as Link or whatever. Um, and so that has led to, you know, a very diverse community where people are creating their own versions. They say, okay, well, this is my wolf link costume, but he's a human, or this is link as a girl, or this is, you know, my own design of what I wish link was wearing. <laughs> really just, just whatever. So people can, um, include that in inter- like artistic input and create something that is original in cosplay. But to me, I still consider those to be separate disciplines because I had to learn them separately. I have the skills right. to sew a costume that, you know, the, based on an artwork from a video game. And I also have the skill to design my own character. But those are different disciplines. So it's interesting. Cosplay can include all kinds of things. Yeah. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes Overworld podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. And there's Veridesk. This year, the office cubicle turns 50 years old. It hails from an age when work was done on typewriters and smoking at your desk was the norm. Today, employees are expecting more from their workspace. They want flexible and active spaces where they can collaborate and feel energized. Veridesk Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement to any workday. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health, boost energy, and increase productivity. Veridesk has a variety of desk solutions that replace traditional office setups, require little to no assembly, and are ready to use in minutes. Plus, Veridesk products are made from commercial-grade materials meant to last a lifetime. They're easy to move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. You can try Veridesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns if you're not satisfied. See it for yourself at Veridesk.com. That's V-A-R-I. Desk.com. So you, you talked a little bit about your background, theatrical design. How did you – I'd love to know sort of how you even ended up in this situation. <laughs> if you kind of get what I mean, like what was sort of the transition from that into realizing that you sort of had a love for this? Well, I went to school for theater because I was already interested in cosplay. Okay, uh, got it. <laughs> yeah, so – so you're I'm living the dream, to... essentially. <laughs> I'm trying to. I think it's going pretty well. Um, I was interested in cosplay because I was attending conventions just as a young, nerdy person looking for friends and discovered the cosplay existed and I fell in love with it because I've always been an artist. And so yeah. the idea that I could wear my art on my body and then walk around a convention where people wanted to talk about it and, in t- and take photos of it and interact with it uh, was just incredible to me. 
So I started doing that and started looking for any type of educational opportunities because when I started, I didn't know what I was doing. Okay, I see. Um, So I sought education in sewing and designing, and that took me to the theater world. And I had a great time there. I learned a lot of things that I didn't even realize I would end up applying back into cosplay because now at this point I'm building sets and doing theatrical set design and... Um, you know, painting props and and those kinds of things, designing light, <laughs> lighting. Did that? Did that? For- did this all arrive out of necessity of wanting more control over how you were showing off your costumes? Uh, yes, I would say so. Um, I it's very very multidiscipline cosplay is because mm. you have to have artistic skill to create the outfit. Well, I will say it's diverging. And my kind of prediction for where cosplay is going to go in the future is that people will be more specialized in their skills. Okay. So like kind of in the origins of cosplay, you had to be creating your own costumes because you couldn't you couldn't buy them anywhere. Or if you did, it was just from another individual who made it for you. Um, so you had to be able to make the costumes and then you had to be able to wear it and portray the character and um, and that sort of thing. The way that cosplay is changing and what I see them, how I see the community growing is I think that people who are like highly well known, who are able to like be professional models um, versus people who are professional creators, I feel like there's going to be more and more of a divergence there. And I'm talking, I'm talking primarily about people who are living off of this art form. Um, Right. For hobbyists, you can continue to do anything that you want. There are no rules. For people who are successfully like building a career off of it and, and this is their primary source of income, I mean, it helps a lot if you have professional modeling skills and you look like you can be a professional model. You are a professional yeah. model at that point. Um, versus someone who has the skills and the equipment to make high-quality costumes and turn them out at a at a good enough rate to, to be able to make a living that way. Um, so I think there is going to be a lot more specialization in the future, but are, it does. Are require... models and designers teaming up or is this, has this become a generalist kind of competition where people are sort of multidisciplinary and they kind uh, of float both. to the top? Okay, cool. We're, we're both. I would consider myself um, multidisciplinary because I, I sew my outfits, I wear them myself, I take photos of them myself with my husband's help. He's a photographer, or he will, I've actually um, pushed him to kind of take up photography. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so it's something that we're working on together, but he'll take photos and I edit them. And um, in that way, I have the ability to fully produce everything that I need to create a finished photo of a cosplay. I make the costume myself do my own makeup, wear it, photograph it, um, like plan the shoot, which would include either finding a location or creating a set in my home and then doing lighting and on all of those things. I basically handle everything and it does Lord. give me um, artistic control over the finished product and I can edit it how I want and I can release things that are, you know, flattering and show the best angles and show the costumes and it's in the best light and yeah. all of that. And I see it. I mean, if well, we'll do, we'll do handles and stuff later, so people can see this kind of stuff. I wish I could just show it right now. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. There's jumping back real quickly to competition. Um, now you've 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 been on. I think you 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 got started on saying that you've kind of been on both sides, where you've been the judge and you've also been judged. And I'm curious to know, right. as somebody who's been as someone who's been in the position of a judge. What kinds of things are you looking for? Like, what what are some shared qualities amongst the winners that you found? Um, I would say that that multidisciplinary talent is a huge thing because um, it's very difficult to judge, like, detailed, beautiful sewing work versus someone who made a huge, impressive suit of armor. Those are totally different disciplines. They re- mm. require different skills. Um And both require a lot. And so one of the things that we look for when we have an array of of entries that are all very, very good, 
the people who are able to show proficiency in multiple areas are the ones that rise to the top. Because okay. if we have to judge, you know, five different costumes and some of them are gorgeous sewing work and some of them are gorgeous prop work, but then one person there has both, then they're going to be the standout. Got it. Got it. So it's kind of on the it's on the onus of the the contestant to really pick something that shows off their skills. I was going to say because I imagine yeah. it must be so hard to quantify the skill of two different disciplines that might be necessary for two completely different costumes. That absolutely um, part of the strategy of being really efficient in like winning costume contests is being able to pick a design to make that is like show worthy quality um, that would incorporate like a detailed amount of sewing work, uh, maybe an impressive wig, pieces of armor and being able to work with multiple types of materials and like uh, combine them really effectively is all a part of the strategy of just choosing what you're going to make uh, for a costume contest, if you're really serious about it, if you're if you're going to one that's like a hefty cash prize or something. Yeah. Now I I noticed that um, you you have had actually you mentioned that you have had streams on Twitch in the past, and I'm curious to know if you could dive into a little bit about how you've sort of been expanding your craft and creating new resources for people to enjoy, like. What what happens on Instagram? What happens on Twitch? What happens on Twitter? And how do they all sort of point to what you do? Okay. Uh, well, Twitch is the primary place where I show off my actual crafting. So I will host streams two or three times a week and um, work on different things. I have a pretty wide variety of the different stuff I do. Sometimes I'm sewing. Sometimes I'm styling a wig, sculpting. Um, and Twitch is a, a huge community of, of artists already, but, uh, for my own craft, it's very wide and, and varied and people will come to the chat and sometimes they're just looking to hang out and sometimes they're looking to, I'm sorry, uh, sometimes they are looking to learn about cosplay and, and wanting to follow along with what I'm doing. So I primarily stream it live and then I'll archive that video, archive the video for someone to go and watch on their own time. And, um, otherwise like on Instagram, I create, uh, tutorial posts that will kind of recap everything I've done from a certain, for a certain part of a project, like going through each stage as it develops and to create the final product. And that really helps people to be able to see it kind of all in one album and be able to appreciate all of the different stages that the work went through. I love that. And as sort of like uh, I guess as as a as a final question, I'm curious to know if it's at all applicable. How would you like to see the space evolve from where it is now? You mean just cosplay in general? Yeah. Hmm. I think that I would like to see um, more community involvement outside of like just the convention spaces. Because sometimes um, friends will get together and host like. Um, kind of photo shoot events, they'll say, we're all going to go out to this particular place, um, particular event, like uh, the cherry blossoms were blooming here at the University of Washington. And so um, a group of local friends got together and went down there and we took photos. It was a wonderful time. Um, That's so cool. So almost just infiltrating yeah. like the meetup, like meetup.com and like finding these picturesque like contexts in order yeah, to get stuff Yeah, absolutely. Done. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, you know, I always wonder that for myself too. Like every year at Magfest, you know, I, what is it? It's at the gazebo yes. that a lot of cosplayers <laughs> will meet, and it almost seems like, in my head at least, very passively, I'll kind of have the thought, okay, like people, you know, they they bring out their best and they show up here, and I guess hope that there is like some photographers that are very excited to take photos of them, and they do their thing, and then they they switch contact information. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's how that gets done. But yeah, it would be cool if if it were more than I guess like an annual, an annual event yeah. like that. Absolutely, um, nice. I'd love to see it be more just like publicly accepted. <laughs> yeah. Um, for is there for is there still stigma? You feel? Um, I think it confuses people when they see someone walking down the street in a costume. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, generally, people are are welcoming and excited. 
about seeing people dressed up. Like uh, anytime that I end up doing a location photo shoot where I have to go somewhere and I'm just out in public wearing a costume, um, people will sometimes ask for photos of the costume just Hell because yeah. they think it's funny that there's, you know, a Jedi or a princess <laughs> on right. the side of the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good yeah no i totally hear that and can totally relate to that situation when um after after we did our uh our uh our video together and i left as finn in dallas Mm -hmm. from rtx to my hotel room i got about three randos in their car driving by yelling traitor (laughs) (laughs) and that was a cool it was a cool little glimpse because i only really cosplayed like twice so that was like a cool little glimpse into into that world probably your every day so Heidi thank you so much for for joining us and giving us a better understanding um of course thank you I'm uh I would love for you please to share all the socials please plug (laughs) (laughs) okay well um I have a my my screen name is the same everywhere so that makes it pretty easy uh it is Atelier Heidi it's A-T-E-L-I-E-R Heidi, H-E-I-D-I. And so that is where you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, just everywhere. Um, I share a lot of progress photos about what I'm working on. Everything from sewing to arranging flowers for a giant flower photo set that I'm working on. Uh, And I show behind the scenes um, photos of of the work and and all of its progress. So uh, you can check it out if you want to see more about what I'm up to. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Coming up, Paul and Eric talk about new reports that Call of Duty Black Ops 4 won't include a single-player campaign. But first, a quick break. Hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies the people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Mini bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Hi, I'm Eric Kane. And I'm Paul Tassie. And uh, right now the rumor is going around that the uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 will not have a single-player campaign. Quite a, quite a few different publications are reporting on this, from Polygon to Eurogamer, Charlie Intel, Kotaku. Uh, it's, it, sounds, it sounds like it's probably true. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, with that many different major outlets, like, unless it's the same person telling the same story to everyone and it's false, like I have to believe it's going to be true. Yeah, and it's kind of strange. Um, I mean, this is something that's been talked about for years and years. I mean, it's sort of like waiting for the, the hammer to drop. When is when is Activision going to cut the, the single-player campaign? Uh, but it's still a little surprising, especially for Black Ops, which has been, I don't know, kind of one of the major call of duty stories uh for the past decade or so yeah i mean part of this rumor is that they just realized they were not on pace to get the campaign done which is pretty unusual but i guess i can see how that could happen since call of duty has such a rigid schedule that you can't delay it like you can't delay it to 2018 just because you got to finish something or another so if they were behind and they decided to scrap it and put in a new mode or something 
that's I, I don't know. It, it seems to be like part test, part kind of necessary circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's strange also because they have moved to a three-year development cycle, which gives, you know, it gives Treyarch, Infinity Ward, and Sledgehammer an extra year to develop these games. So it is a little surprising to to think that they wouldn't have it finished. Uh, But, I mean, they are, you know, also very large projects, so it's conceivable. I mean, my best guess is fundamentally, at least Activision, I don't know about the individual developers, but in a perfect world you would be able to cut the very time-consuming and expensive campaign that no one usually spends more than six hours on and add in some other mode. And then the rumor, the rumors going around now are that Black Ops 4 is adding some kind of Battle Royale mode. Uh, yeah. And then so you would replace the campaign with, a, like, say, a Battle Royale mode that you could monetize <laughs> in right. one way or another. Um, and something that would be kind of at least somewhat easier to develop for, and that could be an ongoing revenue stream because you know no one's ever selling campaign DLC. <laughs> um, I, I do think you run the risk of kind of upsetting the apple cart, where like Call of Duty has been the number one game sold for the last I don't know seven eight years, whenever Grand Theft Auto came out, and it stuck with the same formula every time. So why mess with what works? But also, I guess they're kind of banking on the fact that it'll still sell regardless since the main draw is the multiplayer and if they add if they could add in something that is like a good battle royale mode maybe that could be even more of a draw than a campaign would be but it still feels weird to me (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i was looking up some statistics on on completion rates for the campaign and you know like advanced warfare this is actually in the article i'm working on but advanced warfare 64 percent of players tracked completed the campaign that's more than Which I thought. <laughs> yeah, it was only 39% for World War II, um, and that's probably also because that one just came out and people will still complete it in the future. But, um, you know, like Wolfenstein 2 had a 41% completion rate, and it's a single-player game only. So It's also like five times as long. <laughs> well, it's not that long. I mean, what? how long was it? Maybe 20 was it hours? hours? I don't know. I don't think it was 20. I think it was like 15 hours. Okay. But, you know, still longer, maybe twice two or three times longer than, yeah. than one of uh, one of the Call of Duty campaigns. But, uh, you know, that's still a pretty high rate of completion for for people to to be playing that much of the single-player game. So there's there's definitely a market for it, you know? Yeah. Um, now, whether, you know, obviously they can't continue to monetize the campaign in the way that they do with every other aspect of the game. You know, you don't buy loot, loot crates or supply drops or whatever they call them for, for the campaign. Uh, and it is expensive. So yeah, not surprising, but at the same time, yeah, why mess with a, a good thing? Yeah, this, if, if nothing else, I could see a lot of players just using this as another way to uh, be mad about. Color. Well, my other theory <laughs> is that in like two or three months, they'll be like, "Surprise! Like we're packing the game with a campaign <laughs> for yeah. free, like that we just finished." Um, I, I wouldn't be super surprised to see that happen, but I don't know. It's going to be a weird kind of sample this year because. I mean, the game's still going to sell really well, but also it's Black Ops, and that kind of bolsters things. Whereas, like, I think if you were trying this with, like, an Infinite Warfare, an Advanced Warfare, or something else, and you cut a campaign and it was just some rando sub-series multiplayer in a zombies mode, I I don't know. I feel like that would hurt more, whereas Black Ops might have a little bit of, of wiggle room because it's Black Ops. But I mean, isn't it kind of Black Ops also because of the campaigns? Like, like what what differentiates a Call of Duty ultimately if they get rid of the campaign? I mean, then every year it's like a multiplayer and a zombies, but they're all. I mean, they don't have like what ties it together. What what gives it its its yearly what reason to exist? Why not just have like one game and add new content to it? You know, yeah, like, exactly. I mean, when you think, think back to at least some of the older Call of Duties and some of my most memorable moments from those games are in the campaign, not just some random multiplayer thing that happened. It's, you know, the Chernobyl sniper mission. It's no Russian. It's these kind of memorable campaign mm-hmm. moments. And I guess, I don't know, I, I, I'm tempted to say like, oh, I guess just shooter campaigns aren't really all that memorable these days. And, you know, they're all blending together. But that, I don't think that's true because you have a game like Titanfall 2 coming out and producing just like a stellar, you know, single player shooter campaign or you have Doom yeah. or you have Wolfenstein. And like, there's still 
ways to make this fresh. It's just that Call of Duty has felt a little by the numbers for, I don't know, at least probably the past three, four campaigns. But I, I agree with you that, like, it kind of just saps the personality from a series if you don't have a campaign. Like, that's how I felt about the first Titanfall. That's how I felt about Evolve. Like, these multiplayer games that showed up with, you know, pretty cool worlds, but then it's like, there's no substance because there's no at there's no base for the story at all right yeah i mean it's like uh, i mean there i guess the campaigns have been by the numbers but they've been pretty varied also i mean infinite warfare was a totally new approach to a campaign for the for the series and i know it was controversial but it really wasn't a bad campaign that, that was the space one right yeah. yeah. No, I, um, I like that one too. The problem with that one was it came out right near Titanfall 2 and it was like pretty yeah. similar to that, but Titanfall 2 was better, so... Way better, yeah. Yeah, although Titanfall 2 didn't sell. Um, yeah. It, you know, and yeah, imagine Titanfall 2 without the campaign. I mean, it's just, there is something to be said for it. I, I think especially for games that release, you know, with sequels and things like that, you know, it's one thing for Counter-Strike to have just the same game for years and years and years. They're not releasing new Counter-Strikes every year. Uh, imagine if Valve released a new Counter-Strike every year, but all it was was new maps. And, you know, that that just wouldn't fly. Um, so unless Call of Duty is going to change its business model to, to having, you know, like Call of Duty online like they have in China, then I don't, I don't really understand where they go with this. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, I mean, you have games now that are quote-unquote multiplayer only, like you have Overwatch and PUBG and Fortnite, which are like the big shooters now. And yet those are not games that are, probably ever going to get sequels like there's not going to be a Fortnite 2 or an overwatch 2 in the traditional sense but call of duty is is kind of locked into that so i yeah i i agree that it's a risky proposition to do kind of full multiplayer only even if they have a battle royale mode or whatever like you don't you know (laughs) what are you going to invest in all these battle passes and stuff and in battle royale mode for a year and then it's a new battle royale mode in some sledgehammer game a year from now like the point of these other games is you feel like you're investing in them for the long term. Like I have this Overwatch skin collection that's taken me three years to build, and I'd be upset <laughs> if you know <laughs> Overwatch two and three came out in subsequent years and erased everything. So I feel like that's always kind of been a problem Call of Duty has had with kind of overall progression resetting every year, but but it's worked. But I feel like if you make it only that for all these different multiplayer modes, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it just, it does sort of change. I mean, here's the reason, there's a reason that Call of Duty doesn't have the big numbers on Steam that Counter-Strike and games like that have. And it's because there's a new one every year. So every single year you reset who's playing which game. You know, you never, you don't build up this large community on the, uh, uh, playing multiplayer because each year it resets. And and there's something appealing about that also. It's, it's fun to be, you know, to have... World War II this year, and you're playing in, you know, with old rifles and, the, you know, in a historical setting, and then have like a, a more modern warfare the next year. You know, that's kind of fun. That's part of the appeal. But well, it got it got less fun tied in like five future games in a row and they <laughs> yeah. all together. So I think that kind of hurt it. Right. But absolutely. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think Activision still fundamentally wants to stick with this model because. You know, the benefit of having new game every year is that you sell a new game every year. Right. And when you sell as much as Call of Duty, it's like, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred million a year. And if you change your model to just be purely, I guess, I don't know, free to play or microtransaction supported, like at this point in the series lifespan, they can still have their cake and eat it too. They can still sell $60 box copies, be the best selling game of the year and sell microtransactions and map packs and stuff. And yeah. until that drastically changes, I think they're going to be able to keep doing this. And I don't think that will drastically change with Black Ops 4, even with this campaign, because that is going to sell extremely well. Right. Yeah, but I do think there's going to be a large portion of the player base that's upset not to have a campaign, especially in the Black Ops universe. Because I think there's like, like for me personally, I was looking forward to hopefully going back to something a little more either near future or near past with, with Black Ops 4. You know, like, the first and second game have a historical aspect to them, but also are fairly modern. Mm-hmm. The third game kind of went off the rails into this sort of weird, trippy, futuristic thing. And so I think a lot of people are like, okay, maybe we'll get back to kind of what made the first two games. Do we even know the setting yet? We don't, do we? We don't. Yeah, okay. No. Well, and then, and then if there's no campaign, like, do they even need a setting? Can they just kind of... Well, technically, be, yeah, I mean, because you got to... <laughs> decide whether you're doing like drone swarms and multiplayer or like 
calling in the dogs or something more <laughs> low tech than that. Yeah. And with a battle royale mode, like, especially with a battle royale mo- mode, it seems weird to have a new one each year. Like, uh, I mean, and maybe they won't. Maybe it's just an experiment. Maybe they're, you know, they'll go back to the other way. I, I, I don't know. Like, it feels almost like a Call of Duty battle royale should be its own game completely. You know? Yeah, it does. Like not bundled. Because they could, I don't know. I've been saying that about zombies for a while. Like you could theoretically see zombies sold separately, but if you cut zombies out of the main game, then people would get upset. But if battle Royale's a new thing, I don't know, maybe people wouldn't be as upset about that, but I guess most battle Royale games are, are entering the market free to play. So that could be an interesting experiment, but well, yeah, if they continued selling their, um, their yearly, you know, three pillar call of duty, uh, campaign multiplayer zombies, and then also had a free to play Call of Duty Battle Royale on the side, which would have its own completely different kind of revenue stream and potentially different player base. I, I mean, that seems that seems like a game they could support without having to make a new one each year. You know, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, right now it's so much rumor and speculation too. We just don't know what's going. My on. favorite part um, about this news is that okay, you, you're going to take the campaign out of Black Ops, which is one of the best part of Black Ops, and then you're releasing Modern Warfare Two without multiplayer. <laughs> and that, that is another bizarre thing. <laughs> that was like pretty much the best part of Modern Warfare Two. But it makes no I, sense, really. Because combine them together, have... and you got <laughs> the whole game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's 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 just that's such a strange thing. I still am having a hard time believing that that's true because why wouldn't they have the multiplayer? I, with I don't know. It's I, I just feel like they're they're kind of scrambling in a lot of ways. Like if if the problem is this logistically, they are not able to finish this stuff in time. Like that seems weird to me. And but because they've been kind of on this like clockwork schedule for so long, you'd think they'd have it down. But I don't know. Maybe things are getting harder. Well, and I read that Raven Software is developing the battle royale mode. And that they're shooting for a hundred players. What seriously? I didn't read yeah, that. Uh-huh. In, I, I heard that. I read that they they haven't been able to yet. They're not, they're struggling, but that's struggling. It's out in like five months. <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, we'll see. I mean, that's just so outside the realm of like what Call of Duty. What's the biggest match size in Call of Duty? Like six v six? I don't even know. Like it's usually four v four. I thought. No, no. It's usually six v six, but. Uh, and right now they're running their ground war thing, which is nine versus nine. Um, okay. But yeah, like, and I know they've done bigger stuff like that in the past, but um, yeah, I mean, it's a small scale game, really. It's not a, it's not a battlefield. It's not a PUBG. It's just, it's a small, more intimate, fast paced. Yeah. Story. Well, I'm trying to think of the map design too. Cause like, are they going to just do this massive map? That's like 50 times bigger than any normal multiplayer map to house that many people. Like, Right. Not that I don't want to yeah. play this, because I think a Battle Royale shooter in the vein of Call of Duty with those controls and stuff would be kind of cool, because we don't really have, like, a pure FPS Battle Royale, and, like, I can't think of many better series to try it than Call of Duty, but logistically, I, I'm wondering how it's going to pan out in practice. Well, certainly, like, you know, they did something new with War Mode this year, which was interesting, and... I really like it, and I like that they did something different. I like also that War Mode wasn't really like piggybacking on some popular trend. Yeah, I, I like that it was just a new thing, but it was still six versus six, and it was it was still like pretty contained. Like it's a linear sort of yeah, it's a map with uh, specific objectives, and you know, yeah, it's not some open world and, thing. And, that's certainly different than the typical Call of Duty map, which is you know usually you've got maybe three lanes and you know you have this sort of flow to every map that either works or doesn't work, but it's, it's a tried and true formula and how they, how they expand that formula into just a big open map is, you know, I'm not sure. You could do it, but again, this seems like its own game. It seems weird to have this be a mode in an existing like black ops release. I, I, I don't know. That's, that seems strange to me. It definitely feels like its own game, I, and I, I really think it could be. I mean, obviously, for something like Fortnite or PUBG, are really when you when you break it down, they're pretty bare bones. It's it's you know with Fortnite, it's one map, and it's a map that changes because they keep adding to it. But it's just one map, and there's not you know different classes or divisions. There's not 
it's just one map and a bunch of different skins and you, you know, it, it doesn't take much really. I, I mean, what, didn't they say they took them like two months to develop Fortnite? <laughs> yeah, that was a fast, fast turnaround. I mean, granted they had like all the tools in place already and I, so that's a little different, but. <laughs> but it doesn't need much to be its own game is basically the point. And the same would be true for Call of Duty. It doesn't really need to be bundled um, with everything else. So I, I don't yeah, know. I can't tell if it's I, a it's, pro it's, or a con if it's bundled. Like I, I feel like it almost has to be if they're going to cut the campaign and like they have to replace the campaign with right. something or else it just feels like less value. And like, yeah, other shooters can get away with not having a campaign, I guess, but a lot of them were heavily criticized for it. Like Titanfall was forced to add a campaign. Battlefront 2 was forced to add a campaign. And while that campaign wasn't good, they still <laughs> added it. So, but for Call of Duty to have a campaign for, you know, eight, nine, ten years running and then cut it and then not replace it with anything would be kind of weird and i think people would give them a lot of crap for that so yeah yeah i i mean and that's the that's the bind they're in really even adding a mode i think they're still in that bind because a lot of people will expect a campaign and i don't know it's it, they, they pretty much can't avoid controversy and it's usually because of something that activision I feel like done. world war ii so was the least really... controversial release in a long time like the biggest yeah. thing was like oh you can spectate loot box openings that was like the only thing people complained well, about and you know, swastikas. Oh, and well, yeah, that was just... Black female <laughs> Nazi and all that Minor stuff. Minor stuff. Know. Yeah, it was pretty uncontroversial overall, and it sold really well. Um, and I just... I'm trying to imagine them releasing World War II without a campaign. I mean, granted, like, the campaign is something that you play and then you put down, and a lot of people don't play it, but, but it, it just would have been weird to, to have that release come out, and it's like, it's just multiplayer. It just feels know? hollow. I don't I, know. I, Maybe they're just... Yeah. assuming that like the next generation who's growing up on overwatch and Fortnite like just doesn't care as much about shooter campaigns. Yeah. So maybe they're just going to kind of mosey on over in that direction. If it can be like a cost saving measure and revenue driver, but well, there's also this thing in gaming these days that, that the zombie mode really exemplifies and that's this obsession with co-op. Mm-hmm. Um, co-op is just really like that, that drum is beaten all the time and I am personally not a huge fan of it, <laughs> you know, like, I guess that's partly just as you get older, you have fewer opportunities to play co-op with friends and playing co-op with randoms is never as fun. It's, ter- it's usually it's terrible. <laughs> it's usually terrible. Yeah. And I mean, it's one thing to play against randoms in a multiplayer, you know, in competitive multiplayer mm-hmm. or whatever it's, but if you're going through a zombies campaign with randoms, that's, that's a lot of time to spend with, with people who may be really obnoxious or, you know, unreliable. And, and so the big focus being on all competitive multiplayer or, and co-op zombies leaves all those people who really do enjoy the single player aspect kind of in the lurch. And this is really something, you you know, like a lot of games are really beating the co-op thing. And, you know, destiny is a good example where a lot of it's focused on co-op, but at least you can still play uh, solo quite a bit of it. So yeah, I, I mean, know. technically you can play zombies sometimes solo, but that's obviously not how it's it was <laughs> intended to be played most of the time. It's it's virtually... Have you ever tried to play yeah, it solo? Yeah, it's not enjoyable very much, but I guess it's a challenge. It's just really hard. <laughs> yeah. You can't manage all the different bad things that are happening. Yeah. And this is what kind of... You know, I see, there's other games like um, Vermintide and Vermintide 2, which are really cool games, but you have to play... In co-op, there's just no option for a for a single player playthrough, and that kind of always spoils it for me. I don't know. Like I like Far Cry, I like Far Cry 5's version of co-op because it's like you can play the whole campaign by yourself. But if you wanna, if you just happen to have a friend who's playing, also you guys, you know, you can. Just yeah, I kept forgetting co-op even existed in that then, game. Yeah, it's because it's not fundamental to it, but it, you can easily do it. You know, it's it it's like playing Ghost Recon Wildlands in that respect. You just. You either do or you don't play with a friend. It doesn't really matter yeah. that much. And I mean, I think I think part of the appeal of Call of Duty has been that there is something for everyone. There's competitive multiplayer, there's co-op with zombies, and then there's single-player campaign. And that pretty much covers all your bases. And I guess cutting one of those bases out seems risky because Battle Royale, like someone who enjoys a Call of Duty single-player campaign is not automatically going to translate into like a Call of Duty Battle Royale fan because those are like diametrically opposed <laughs> you know, modes. So I, I don't think you're going to satisfy everyone just by replacing it with something that has nothing to do with what you cut. Yeah. 
I mean, you're going to also then appeal to a whole new customer base. I mean, I could definitely see people who haven't bought a Call of Duty in five years saying, oh, well, I'm going to get this now because it's got a That's battle true. royale. Uh, you know? But I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's it, This is a tricky situation for, for Activision, and I know they could save a ton of money and time. And, you know, the question is, it's you know, even with Battle Royale aside, like, are they going to have more maps now? Like, are they going to have more multiplayer stuff now at launch to make up for it? Because, you know, it just having a Battle Royale mode may not... My guess really... is no, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure no is yeah. the answer. Yeah, like... Because, you know, they've got to sell all those map packs still. I can't so. believe they're still selling map packs. That seems so antiquated now. <laughs> I guess they could, they're the, kind of the only brand that can really get away with that for the most part. But I feel like most everyone has moved yeah. to, if you if you add maps, it's like part of some larger DLC package or they're just adding them for free and selling microtransactions. But Yeah. Yeah, they seem to still be doing fine with that. I think I think they have such an established player base and an established way of doing things. That's that, and again, that's it. They're rocking the boat when they already have this very established system that doesn't need yeah, any exactly. boat rocking. You know, I mean, adding something new like war mode is a great is a great idea, and I know a lot of people who love war mode. And adding a battle royale, fine, but yeah, starting to really tinker with with what works is a strange idea. So, I mean, and maybe it's not true. Maybe this is all. This will all be well. They, there could be something like there's so much backlash to this that they, you know, bust their butts and get the campaign out <laughs> in time. But yeah. I, my my theory right now is that they will release at least some version of a campaign in free DLC down the road. That's my theory. Yeah, yeah, and that's you that's know, fine. That, kind of weird, but fine, they're not going to do that every I year. Know. I wouldn't imagine. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, and a part of this, you know, may just be part of the whole battle royale trend, which is something we'll have to talk about more in the future because it, it's it's an interesting thing to to watch various companies try to hop on that bandwagon. I certainly don't begrudge anyone trying to catch a little bit of that. Yeah, it wasn't success. our original plan to talk about radical, radical heights too, but we, we never got to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have to save yeah. that for later. You know, like people sort of mocked Bosky and Cliff Blazinski for doing that, but it's like. Why? Why wouldn't? Well, they don't have anything point, to lose. To do so they might as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's not like we're flush with battle royale games either. No, I not mean, really. Yeah, you couldn't make it. If you were trying to make a te- ten battle royale games, you should play list. You, like, there's you like two major ones games. and a bunch there's of like little... very smaller indie ones. Yeah, and not even a bunch of them, like yeah. a couple, <laughs> you know, like early access or extreme early access in the case of Radical Heights. Um, so I, I think it's definitely, I mean, people immediately, you know, sort of mock the new, you know, whenever there's this new trend, you know, like with Overwatch started kind of a trend of. Yeah, well, how, how did that work out for everyone else? <laughs> Right, this is you, the problem is like you can't do. Or, this I mean, exactly. PUBG and especially yeah. Fortnite are so big now. Like, it's gonna. It would take like a Call of Duty to really, if possible, make a mark. Because you know, coming late to the party. You, you know, we even saw this with MOBAs with Blizzard's Heroes of the Storm, and that's like a perfectly good MOBA. But they were mm-hmm. they were just so late to market that even like all their Blizzard power couldn't make them a real kind of major player in the space. So. I'll say this, though. Both MOBAs and hero shooters are more complicated and harder to develop and to get into than a That's Battle true. Royale game. That's the one thing that Battle Royale games really have, and a reason why I think there's room in the market still, is that it is just it is so easy to start playing a new Battle well, and Royale. And like updates for those are like, oh, here's one new weapon, or here's like one square mile of new map. <laughs> and that's like a huge update. Right. But, yeah, or some yeah. little scavenger hunt. <laughs> that everyone freaks out about. Um, so it is, it's an accessible genre. Like, whereas a MOBA, like that's, that's like investing your life into something like oh, to yeah. get good at those. I mean, heroes of the storm from what little I played was, was definitely more appealing to me because it was easier to get into. But by, by that point I just had no desire to get into MOBAs. I still think someone could do a great a hero shooter. I mean, I, I don't know why no one's really done that well, except for blizzard yeah. lately. I mean, you just have to have your own spin on it. I, I don't know. I, I think there's still room there, but uh, the the you know Paladins and pa- Paladins Battleborn. is doing the a battle royale mode now. <laughs> battle royale. It's in closed yeah. alpha. 
they're the, the ultimate latch on to whatever yeah. is popular. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, I guess we'll we'll find out more. I know the big announcement reveal is in May for Call of Duty Black Ops Four, and I'm sure there'll be more leaks and rumors swirling yeah, before definitely. then. But uh, yeah. So, well, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you guys next week. That's it for this episode of Overworld. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. To Podcast One, Office Hours with Spencer Raskoff. Listen to the CEO of the Zillow Group as he talks to his latest guest, Ariana Huffington. The goal of a machine is to minimize downtime, but the goal of a human being is different. For the human operating system, downtime is a feature, it's not a bug. You can find his show and other great business related shows like Forbes Interview and Forbes Under 30 exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the new Podcast One app. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.